Very good to hear the fellowship. Very good to hear the fellowship. It's so wonderful. It's just it's so good to be part of a body of Christ, the body of Christ, a family, a local family here. It's just a, a wonderful thing. We do try to minimize our uh, distractions, I would say, while you're taking your seats. Uh, minimize the distraction for our worship service. The attention is to be drawn to God. But I will have to say that they left those little Debbie cakes right down here. So I can see those fudge rounds or uh, oatmeal cakes and uh, nutty buddies. and It's distraction, distraction. I've got to focus, put that out of my mind. Take that away, Tim. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, now, make sure he comes back in to the auditorium. Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles. It really is a special time, once a week, it's our privilege to come together as the body of Christ to focus on the Word of God, Revelation 12. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do thank you. It's been uh, good already today, just been able to praise you and focus our attention on you, it's so refreshing, Lord. Throughout the week, we we get discouraged, Lord. We we go astray. We we know our weaknesses. We we go through such difficult times. But when we come together, set under the teaching of your Word, and just be refreshed again. We just thank you for that privilege, for the fellowship, for the worship, and the music time for. The time in your word, the time of prayer, the time of giving, all of these elements of worship. Lord, we thank you for this special time. I pray that you would be honored and glorified as your word is uh, uh, preached today. And may we glean from it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. From the very beginning, Satan has uh, opposed God. He is the enemy of God. We know that. That's not anything new for us virtually at right after creation, essentially over 6,000 years ago, uh, he has become the enemy of God. He has been fighting against God. And we as Christians, when we become a Christian, we put on a uniform. The uniform, uh, this white robe of Christ's righteousness on ourselves. But it has a target on us. Satan is after us too. We become the enemy of Satan. Now we need to know our enemy a little bit, and I want to go over this just quickly. There's a lot to know about Satan. Satan's problem, we mentioned a few weeks ago, is his pride. Now it might be too small for you to see, but I tried to name as many as I could on the board. His problem is his pride, rebellion against God. In his heart, he's lifted himself up and he is going to win over God. The result of that is his doom is sure. Now, we've talked about, uh, even uh, Martin Luther mentioned that in the hymn that we sang. His doom is sure. We know that. But Satan has domain right now. And his domain is, is this earth, but it's not just this earth. We, we tend to think about that. Uh, let me read you from um, Lehman Strauss. Lehman Strauss says this, The present abode, that means right now, the abode of the devil and his demons, is the atmospheric and stellar heavens. This is, this, it's the earth as well. He's the, the God of this world, but he's also the prince of the power of the air. We need to keep that in mind. 
this earth and everything in between up to heaven. And the privilege, one of the privileges that Satan has is to go before the throne of God. Now, what he does is on a daily basis, we'll see at night and day, he accuses the brethren. And that's what he does. But the biggest struggle that Satan has is the truth. The Holy Spirit has given us the truth of the gospel. He has given us the truth of this word. It is the Holy Spirit that has done that. And what happens then is that truth changes us. It changes us. The power of the gospel. And we begin to live out that truth in the world, in this dark world. And we become salt and light, don't we? That's just exactly what Jesus said. In a dark world, we become light. That's not good on Satan's part, from Satan's point of view. And then we begin to proclaim that word. We proclaim that word and we become targets. We become his enemy. Satan's enemy is God and God's people, God's angels, God's plan, God's purposes, anything having to do with God. Satan wants, Satan wants it. And his scheme is just the opposite of the truth. He is the father of lies and he has come to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. And he will do that by twisting the truth. And his goal Ultimately, is to unify the world against God. God's own creation in rebellion against Him. And that's what He would love to see. Unify the world against God and against God's plans and purposes. And Satan will have a heyday. He will have his heyday. And that heyday is coming. That heyday is in the tribulation period. Where he will be able to wreak havoc The demons from the abyss are released. His one-third of heavenly hosts will be down here on earth along with him. And he will just have his heyday. And he will come very, very close. It will look like Satan is going to win during that time. But his routine now is what? He roams the earth seeking whom he may devour, Paul says. He is before God accusing the brethren. He looks down and sees Christians and he says, how can you, how can you love them? How can you call them Christians? And they are just as rebellious as me. And so he's accusing the Christians before God. And, and honestly, it, it's easy for us to feel guilty. And the role of Satan is to be used by God. Satan is just a pawn of God, really. And every time Satan thinks he's had some victory, he looks back, and it's actually God's victory. He's just a pawn. Satan has tormented and punished Israel. God used him to punish Israel because Israel sinned and disobeyed God. And we, Satan finds himself being used of God for this point. But his destiny, the Bible says, is, is sure. There's a place prepared for him and his angels, for Satan and his angels, and that final destiny is going to be the lake of fire. So you have a little bit of an understanding of the enemy. You understand what's going to take place here. In chapter 12 now, John has opened up the scenes, the curtains, so that we can see behind the stage there and find out what's really going on in the spiritual realm. And he goes back essentially to the beginning of the tribulation period and opens it up and shows us what's going on in the spiritual war during this tribulation period. And John thinks that it's important for us to see this. And he introduced us, and let me remind you, a couple of weeks ago we were introduced to these characters. This dragon 
we see, is Satan himself. And there's a woman who is Israel. And this woman has a child. This child is taken up to heaven. We find that this child is Christ himself. Now, Satan does that to help us grasp the severity of the situation. We need to understand this. That Satan is a dragon and he is wanting to consume Israel. And essentially there's no chance for this woman. We look at the story and we just think, she will not survive. But what happens in this passage, we see essentially the beginning of the end for not the woman, the beginning of the end for Satan himself. It's really amazing. But just like a a lion when he is cornered or any animal when he is cornered, we begin to see the true nature of Satan as well. He is not this beautiful angel of light that we many people think of him as, but his true character is revealed And he is hateful and he is prideful and he is rebellious against God. And that comes out. But also we see a slow agonizing defeat for Satan. First of all, he is the first step and that's what we see in this passage. He's going to be thrown out of heaven. The second step, he is going to be thrown into the abyss. The third step and his final abode is going to be he is thrown into the lake of fire. And what we see in this passage as a result of this is rejoicing. Rejoicing. Now let's look at this. You will enjoy this. This passage is divided up into three sections here. First of all, you see there's a a battle scene in heaven. And then you have victory declared. And then you have three more battles on earth. We'll move through this quickly. But there's a lot of rich material here for us to glean. Number one, the battle in heaven. Verse 7. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7 says this. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waged war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. And there were no, they were not strong enough. And there were no longer a place for him or found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And the serpent of that, the serpent of old, um, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, what in the world is going on here? This is a a war that's taking place in heaven. You think, man, that's kind of an unusual thing, and you'd be right. But the reality is there is a war going on in the heavens all the time. There's battles that that we just don't know about many times. And uh, we see maybe physical struggles... But the reality is there's probably spiritual battles going on behind that scene. Spiritual battles are won and lost through how? Prayer. I've mentioned it time and time again. Now, we have Michael there, though, fighting this battle. Michael is an angel. Now, he's no ordinary angel. He's not just a messenger angel. He is a warrior angel. That's what we see in heaven. He is a defender of God's people. We see that. If you turn over to Jude, verse 9, just a few pages to the left in your Bible, Jude, verse 9, there's Jude and then Revelation. Let me read you verse 9. But Michael the archangel, now he is a high-ranking angel, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, so they've had conflict before, disputed with the devil, and argued about the body of Moses. Well, that's interesting. He did not dare 
pronounce against him a railing judgment or this accusation against Satan. But he's just said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that's, that's Michael. They've had dealings with before. And why would Satan want the body of Moses? But he would love to turn that into some kind of relic, these bones of Moses, and, and they would be what? They would be worshipped. It's exactly what would happen. And there would be this shrine, and everybody would be worshipping that. Satan would love to have that. And God says no. And ultimately what? God buried Moses. In Daniel chapter 10, we see Michael coming to the rescue again. Where there's conflict, Daniel begins to pray. And God sends a messenger... A messenger angel down to give Daniel some information. But he was delayed for 21 days. He could not get through the the demons, the other angels that were rebelling against God. In Daniel chapter 9, you can look it up. And we just would not let him through until Michael the archangel came and he was able to get through. That's interesting. These spiritual battles that are going on. What's interesting is the timing here. And... There's a, this is at, this has to be at the beginning or the, the middle part or getting close to the middle part of the tribulation period. You say, well, why this war at this time? Why this skirmish? Why this battle? Let me uh, show you a theory here. In 1 Thessalonians, and you need to get this. This is just, just kind of rich for us. I had never seen this before until I was just reading. There's a lot of theologians that hold to this. This is good stuff. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Now, it says this, For the Lord Himself we descend from heaven with a shout. Now, this is the time of the rapture. Christ is coming down. He's going to meet in the heavens, in the midway, in the air there. And there's going to be this shout with the voice of the what? Archangel. Archangel. That's some high-ranking angel, an archangel, possibly Michael the archangel. And with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The verse we're familiar with, verse 17. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the where? In the clouds. And meet the Lord in the air. What is that? That's Satan's domain, isn't it? And you have these millions of people being raptured up, the church being raptured up, Christ coming halfway down. And the theory is, the idea is, is this is Michael, the archangel, gives a battle cry and allows these tribulation saints to come up and meet the Lord in the air and then we're, then we're escorted on up into heaven with the Lord. It's a wonderful picture. Wonderful picture. Let me show you a little bit of support for that in Daniel chapter 12, all the way back in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12 and verse... This is an interesting verse. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, again, Michael the archangel, same, same one, the great prince who stands guard. Now this is at the beginning of the tribulation. Beginning of the tribulation period. Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. He's this guardian angel kind of warrior. And he will rise, arise, it says, to promise. Some way he is is going to rise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And that time your people... Everywhere who is found written in the book 
will be rescued. That's interesting. Have Michael rising to prominence at this point. You have it, and, and it corresponds with First Thessalonians. And this great cry comes out. And you know what? I see that. It kind of makes sense to me. It's again, it's just a theory. But I tell you what, it's pulling some detail together. But you can understand how that's going to trigger a war in heaven. Rapture, Christ comes down, rapture goes up, and Satan won't let them pass. And Michael, the archangel, he gives this battle cry, and so they pass, and that, then there is a skirmish, then there is a war, a clash. But the only thing that we see in this passage is that Satan loses that battle. In fact, so much so that he is thrown out of heaven. It says there's no more place for him in heaven. There's no place for him. He cannot have access to God and go before the throne anymore. That Satan, that old, Satan of old uh, called the devil and Satan, deceiver of the world. Just so that you know who he's talking about. Very clear there. It wasn't another angel. It is Satan himself is thrown out of heaven. No more access to God. I think you get the picture. He is defeated. The territory lost for Satan. I think you see it. But that's not the first defeat for Satan. The first defeat really for Satan was where? At the cross. Christ delivered the the death blow to Satan at the cross. And Satan now is on earth. He really essentially has no power. Since that death blow, he really has no power. He can accuse the brethren, but that's about all that he can do. He can go before God and, and accuse them, point these things out, but, but God can say, you know what? They're under the blood of Christ. And we as Christians can be very intimidating, especially as a young Christian. You uh, become a Christian, you side with God, you side with truth and righteousness. You accept Christ or you place your faith and trust in Christ. You've got a bullseye on your back at the very beginning. But the reality is Satan is doomed. There's a, um, a story that's told, just a, a bee that gets in the car, you're traveling down the road, and the little girl just screaming, panicking, oh no, I'm going to get stung. And, and you, you know the story well. The, the dad uh, says, sweetheart, it can't hurt you. It stung me first. Now the stinger is still in my arm. Satan is buzzing around. He would love to scare people. He loves to intimidate people. But he has no power. He really cannot do anything uh, to us. Turn over to 1 John. This, just real quick. 1 John chapter 4. Now you say, well, man, it's so, it is so scary. Satan can be so intimidating. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. You are from God, little children. Now, I, he, you, can, you can hear this, this saintly man talking to these, these spiritual babes, spiritual children, and he tells them, you have overcome um, little children and have overcome, you are from God and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, little children, uh, spiritual babes need to know that, don't we? We need to know that. We need to be comforted. Look, greater is He who is in you, the Holy Spirit that's in you, than he who is in the world. That's Satan. That's Satan. We need to know that. Now here's the deal. We need to appropriate that to our lives, don't we? 
We need to become strong in the word. Now, here's what happens. Here's what needs to happen with young children. Turn over to chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. I want you to see this. This is application for us. And in verse 13, he says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. Now, young man is not just a baby anymore. They've kind of grown. I've got some young men in my house now. And they're trying to work out. And they're getting muscles, little tiny muscles now. Just kidding. But they're working out. I mean big muscles. Big muscles. Spiritually, the same thing has to happen. You, you young men, I'm writing to you young men, because why? You have overcome the what? The evil one. That's Satan. He's not tripping you up anymore. He's buzzing around and you don't care because you know. Look at verse 4. How did that happen? How do you overcome him? In verse 14, as I write to you fathers, it says the same thing, just for the sake of emphasis, a good teacher does that. I am writing to you, young men, saying again the same thing, addressing the spiritual young men, because you are strong now. Strong, spiritually strong. What does that look like? The Word of God abides in you. It's not just something somebody out there has said anymore. No, you, it, it takes up residence. I understand what is going on here. The Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the what? The evil one. How do we do that? We become strong. We exercise that muscle of faith. And Satan can buzz about, but hey, we read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what do we we just read that? And it's little babes, yeah, yeah, I understand. But then as we get stronger, we understand that. And it becomes a part of us. No condemnation. You mean Satan cannot hurt me? Yeah, no condemnation. There's no accusation that he can bring to the Father, our Father, before him that will stick. Because why? We're under the blood of Christ. No accusation. We have to become strong. And I think we just allow Satan to intimidate us so much because we're not depending by faith on the Word of God. We're not becoming strong by the Word of God. And we depend upon our own skill, our own personality, our own intellect. Just you name it. Our own righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ. And we need to allow that to settle in our mind and think that through. Think that through. And not be this scared little Christian anymore. Number two. Number two. The end of this initial uh, declaration of victory. So you have Satan been thrown out of heaven. He is down here on earth. And what happens in heaven? Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. So, John, he's recording this. He's recording what he sees. He hears this loud voice. And it's coming from heaven where Satan has just been thrown out. He says, now... You understand that word? That's got to be an exciting word. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our, of our God and the authority of His Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Now these are probably saints. They're probably not angels' voices because it says our brethren. That would be the saints' He's being kicked out. He cannot accuse the brethren anymore. And they overcame. These brethren, uh, these, these saints that are on the earth at that time during this tribulation period, they overcame. 
They overcame him, this is Satan, because of the word of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their own life, even in the face of death. For this reason, rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell on them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing he has only a short time. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. We, we see again Satan. There's rejoicing in heaven because of Satan's defeat. But it's not just because Michael won and Satan lost. Now, there's, it's, bigger, it's bigger than that. He said, now salvation has come. This is the initial point where Christ is now beginning to take control. We see something here. Christ is beginning to take control. He says, the salvation, that is not just the individual salvation of souls. It, it's probably encompassed that, but it's the, the greater picture. It's a more generic term, a deliverance of, the, of this created, cursed earth that we have. Salvation and the power, all of these are, are emphasized, by the way, by, with the article, the. When you see an author do that, he's trying to emphasize the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God. This power, this triumphal power that has come in. Christ is now beginning to, we see movement that He is beginning to, He is going to establish His kingdom here upon earth. It's almost time. It's almost time. The first step is the accuser of the brethren has been thrown out of heaven. That's the first thing. This battle in heaven. I think it's because of the rapture of the church. And it's woe to the earth. This is a sobering time during this tribulation period that Satan has been thrown down to the earth. Woe. Woe. He's a caged lion. It's all... And the, the kind of woe there, this defeat, this, it's just interesting. This is not a thought through reaction of Satan. He is... It says he has come down with great wrath. This wrath is just emotional wrath. I mean, he is, he is defeated. He's just reacting now. He's not, he doesn't have a plan. He's just, the first thing he sees is just an emotional response. He only has a short time. He knows it. He knows it. That last seven and a half years. That explains why the tribulation is such a great catastrophe, a great, terrible time, as Christ said. You see, but it's blessing in heaven. Blessing in heaven. But I want you to notice, they overcame. Those tribulation saints, those saints, or those people who are in the tribulation, who become Christians, they overcame. They overcame essentially the same way we overcome today. How did they do it? He, he lists these things. There's three things. And this word overcame is, is a completed action. And they overcome this dragon. How do you overcome a dragon when he is accusing you and he is attempting you and he is intimidating you. How do you overcome that? Let me show you three things in verse, in verse 11. And they overcame how? This is so good. Theologically, you need to let this settle in your mind because of the blood of the Lamb. That's Christ. The cross, the blood of the Lamb. Now, the past three Sundays we've talked about the cross, haven't we? The cross, the blood of the Lamb. It's significant. Look over you're in Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. This is specific. This is a little bit more specific. Verse 14 says this. 
John, he's speaking and he sees this elder and he's there talking with this elder. And he said to him, my Lord, you know, the elder just asked him, who are these people? And these are the tribulation saints. He says, Lord, you know, I, I don't know. And he gives him the answer. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. That's the intense part of the tribulation, that last three and a half years. And they have washed their robes. They have washed their robes and made them white in the what? In the blood of the Lamb. That righteousness. They've made white because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of Christ. If you turn a few pages over more to the left and in first Peter chapter one, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things, by silver and gold, it wasn't you weren't redeemed by that. A futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but but by the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It's Christ. Folks, that's our answer. That's significant in the spiritual world. We're under the blood of Christ. We're under His righteousness. He took all of, all of our sin and He gave us all of His righteousness. It's all under Him. We're all under Him by this robe of righteousness of Christ. Let's keep going a little bit. You need to know some of these verses. I'm telling you at night when Satan is pestering you, bothering you, dwell on these things. Romans chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man who, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So here we are on this earth and we sin. And we know it. I know from, from Sunday to Sunday, that middle point is so, I'm so weak, I'm so vulnerable. Satan is intimidating me. And I know Satan's accusing me before the throne. And I know my own sin, as David says. It's ever before me. And you see that sin and you know Satan is accusing me before the throne. And God says, look, I will not take that into account. Isn't that a wonderful concept? Can't you think and dwell on that? You know what? There's nothing that you can do when you're under the grace of God that, that God cannot forgive. That's for believers. Folks, that will help you sleep at night. We are sinful people. And I know that. I know my own sinfulness. And I tell you, it's not by trickery that we get rid of Satan. We don't put a hedge Satan jumps over hedges. We don't bind Satan or do some kind of incantation or exorcism. No, we go to the blood of Christ and we let our minds dwell on that. We have Christ's righteousness. He has no power. He can buzz about all He wants. He cannot do anything to me. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Number two. Number two, verse 11. By the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, they held to the word of their testimony, what God was doing in their life. They cannot deny that. They cannot deny that. They have appropriated the blood of Christ to their own life through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then they hold on to truth. Number two, they hold on to truth. That's just faith. 
They see Satan. They hear Satan buzzing about. They know this spiritual war is there. And they just hold on to truth. They go to Romans 8 and say, and remind themselves there's no condemnation. Those in Christ Jesus. And then number three, the next thing they do, it becomes so much a part of who they are. It's conviction for them. And so what happens? And they did not love their own life, their life, even in the face of death. That's conviction. It's conviction. And folks, we've seen that time and time again throughout history. Satan would love to wipe out God's children. And sometimes he brings them to before the stake, before the maybe the firing squad. And they just hold on to the blood of Christ. They hold on to that truth. It becomes so much a part of their life. It's so convicting. Much a part of their life that it's become conviction. And they will stand and say, go ahead and take my life. Because what I believe is more important to me than my very life. That's faith, folks. That's faith. God expects the same for us, really. Is there any difference? No, there's no difference. You got to, this is during the tribulation period. John is seeing this in the future, but really there's no difference for us. We have to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's only under the blood of Christ. We hold to our testimony, that truth that we know that this change has taken place in our life. And then we're ready to the point that we can stand. We can stand and say, Satan, you can take my life. Now listen, we've been seeing generals being interviewed lately just because of the climate of the world right now. And I love the confidence of these generals. I love to hear them speak because they just speak with confidence. Oh, yeah, they can do this. Now, they're not eager to go to war necessarily, but they're confident. Now, folks, that's the way we should be. Just, just confident. Battle-torn, battle-ridden, but we're confident. The blood of Jesus Christ, that nothing that can happen to us. It's just confidence. Seasoned generals. Number three. The last one here. The battle on earth. There's three battles actually. Three attacks, if you will, from Satan. In verse 13, he finds himself this. And when the, the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Now remember that? Remember our, our first scene in the introduction? That dragon was Satan himself. And the woman was Israel who had this child. And the child was taken on up. He says he began to persecute her who gave birth to this male child. Now that's just so we can know exactly who he's talking about, this same woman. What does he do? Verse 14. Two wings. So he begins to persecute this woman. Now a woman is not going to, uh, well a man can't even stand up to a dragon. Especially the dragon that we have seen that's been described for us. There's just no way that she can stand up. She has to have protection. In verse 14, we see that protection. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. Now, some say, well, that's that's eagle, you know, America, United States. And there's really no indication of that. That's kind of a stretch to say that. We don't know what that is, but we do know it's, it's swift safety and security for Israel. He, God comes to the rescue and He gives the woman, He gives the woman this protection so that she may flee to the wilderness, to her place where she was nourished. God nourished her. Now look at this. For a time and times and a half a time, and it protected her for this period of time from the 
presence of the serpent. In the presence of the serpent. You say, well, what in the world is that about? It's just about God's protection. It's, it's figurative language. It's symbolic language. But we know that God protects them from this dragon that wants to just consume her now. He finds himself limited to this earth. And he dusts himself off and he looks around and he sees Israel. I want Israel. And what's happening in Israel? Remember that? God has already established 144,000 Jews to come to know Him. He's put two witnesses at the temple. Remember those things? God has a witness here. And Israel, Romans chapter 11, verse 26, says that God will save Israel and it will be during this time. So God is working in the heart of Israel. And yet, Satan is coming after her now. And God sweeps them away and protects them. And he says, out into the wilderness. This is exactly what Christ is talking about here. These eagles' wings, we see in uh, Psalm chapter 17, is you hide in the shelter of Christ's wing, or God's wings. You take refuge in the uh, shelter of His wings. You sing for joy in the shelter of His wings. And they're nourished by God. Say, how does that happen? Let me remind you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Remember what Christ said in verse 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is this, this time, this special three and a half year period of time of intense persecution on Israel was spoken of through Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judah must flee to the mountains. He says, get out. When you see at that point this abomination of desolation, this act of the uh, Antichrist, this action essentially from Satan, when you see that, he says, don't even... He says, just get out. Verse 17, if you're on the rooftop, don't even go down into the house. If you're out in the field, don't go back to your house for for your coat. And he says, woe to you if you're pregnant. That's going to slow you down. And you need to flee as quickly as possible. And he says, pray that it's not winter time. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as never occurred since the beginning of the world. That sounds exactly what Daniel was telling us back earlier. And Christ says, this hasn't happened yet. It's waiting to happen. And when you see it happen, he said, flee, get out. Get out. You say, well, what happens to these people? This is Satan's attacking. And he's, he's attacking this new little nation, Israel, that God has worked in their heart. They're now becoming, recognizing their Messiah. And they have to flee immediately. But look what happens. Turn over just one chapter, Matthew 25. And this is the passage that was read for us earlier by Dave. Matthew 25, verse 31. We'll wrap it up in just one second. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Now, this is at the beginning of the millennial period. Christ comes down. The the tribulation has already taken place. But when He comes, He establishes His throne. And one of the first things that He's going to do is what? He's going to separate people. But look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of the Father, 
inherit the kingdom prepared for you. That is a literal kingdom. He is ushering in his kingdom now. For a thousand years he's going to reign. And he says, welcome into my kingdom. Who are these people? For I, verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's Israel. During this tribulation time, they had to flee from Satan. And yet, God says, there's going to be those humans, those people that will help you. And that's... that's supernatural, but it's it's human as well. And God has those people out there. He's going to help Israel. Israel is going to be ushered into the kingdom. That's an amazing thing. God protects His people. Sometimes just by fleeing, just by getting out of the way. We saw that with Paul, didn't he? He had to go over the wall on a rope. He had to flee. Sometimes we have to flee. You say, well, how long is this going to be that they're protected, they're nourished by God? And by the way, they're going to be cut off economically. They won't be able to buy and sell. They won't be able to, to really protect themselves. Somebody else has to do it. God has to, it says, give them protection and send them away. And he's got people that's lined up that are going to help them. And it's for a time and times and a half a time. The time is what? One year. This is exactly what Daniel says. If you look it up, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. A time, that's one year. Times, that's two years. And a half a time. Put it together. It's three and a half years. Now, how many ways can you say three and a half years? If you look it up in the, in the book of Revelation, it's, it's so many ways. 42 months. 1,260 days. There's so many different ways that they say the same, the same thing. And it's narrowing it down that three and a half years before Christ comes back and Israel will be preserved during that time. There's a second attack. The serpent pours out water. Again, figurative language. He is trying to get this woman. They're hiding out in the wilderness. He pours out this river out of his mouth from the, from the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away by this flood. This flood, it could be a military army, power, trying to get them. It could be, uh, some commentators say, well, it's just propaganda, smearing the Jews. I think it has to be worse than that. But the earth, now this is supernatural. Sometimes God causes us just to flee, but this time the earth supernaturally opens up. Now we read about in the, in the tribulation period, we read about earthquakes coming. And it swallows them up. Swallows up the water. It says he opens his mouth and, and drinks up the, the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And that's the end of that one. Supernaturally, God protects Israel. He's going to. Why is this so important? Because Israel is the one that is going to go into the kingdom that God, uh, that Christ has established that 1,000 year period of time. And to be Israel... And God preserves Israel. God preserves, protects His people. But even if He doesn't, look at verse 17. So the dragon, he's, he sees that he is not going to be able to get to this woman. So that his, he's enraged with the woman and he went off to make war with the rest of her children. Who is that? The Gentiles. It might be some Jews that don't make it to this uh, protected place. But uh, he goes off to, after her children... How do we know who these people are? He says, those who, uh, who keep the commandments of God. 
These are God's people, and they hold to the testimony of Jesus. Same thing, isn't it? Those who are just standing firm during this tribulation period, and Satan just goes after them. They're a target. He wants to get rid of any kind of witness. This is his chance. There's so few Christians. They've been raptured up. There's so few people on earth. And he thinks, this is the time. This is when I can get the whole world unified against God and rebel against Him. And he finds that God has His remnant. God protects His people. Now listen, we know that during this tribulation period, people are going to die. Christians are going to die. Those who put their faith in Christ, they're going to die. Here's the the picture that we see here. That even in the face of Satan himself, they have confidence... They have confidence. They stand before Satan and they say, you may take this body, but you will never get my soul. You will never get my soul because it is protected by the robe, by the blood of Christ, by the righteousness of Christ. And they stand in this tribulation period. Folks, can we do no less? We don't even have it that hard. Can you imagine facing the dragon in whatever form, uh, human form that it comes and they take that stand and say, I will put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. I will not trust anything else. And you can put me to death if you want, but here I stand. Folks, that's a, that's a picture to me. That's a picture of, of the faith that I want. This is, this is what I want. I want to have that kind of conviction. I want to have that confidence of a a battle-hardened general. It says, you can bring it on. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I thank You for these visions, this picture of the future, what's going to happen. We see the nature of Satan. We see what he can do and how powerful he is. Especially when he's limited, when he's caged, when he's backed into a corner, he's going to unleash all of this. And Lord, we just take comfort in knowing that you are our protector. That you are the one. It's not in us at all. Our salvation, our protection, really none of it. You you are the God. You protect us. And Lord, we, we just rest in that. We appropriate it to our lives. Lord, at night, help us to think on these things. Help us to dwell on this. Meditate, think, and let it become so much a part of our lives that we have confidence. That we have confidence. And Lord, you get the glory and honor. So you've done all the work. We don't even know a battle's going on. It's all around us. We don't even know it. We're just blind to that. Because we live in this physical world, but this spiritual world is there. Lord, we trust you. Put our faith in you. Thank you for being a good God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. We are here for spiritual reasons. We'd love to help physically in whatever way. We can pray for you, whatever. But, but really, these are sobering things. and um, so We're here for spiritual reasons. If you, if you need anything, though, please contact us. See us today or even throughout the week. Um, we, uh, we're available for you. The elders and deacons are, are here as well. We serve a mighty God, huh? 
It's good. It's good to know that. It's good to know that. Well, Tim, come ahead. Let's close by lifting our voices in praise. Praise God.